I just have one question. When Cap needed help, if I'd asked you, would you have come? I guess we'll never know. But if you had, you'd have never been caught. I just have one question. Is there any way to generate a nude Tain? Not computing. Please repeat. Nude Tain. This is not suitable for work. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, Live from Cool Boys Center. Don't the boss down there. I'm boss up here. Hold your dicks and rub your tits. We'll be ice cold. Here come the cool boys. Just the young boy. <gasps> so cool. So cool. So cool. Oh, it's a good boy. Greetings, cool boy nation. Mm. And welcome to a special installment of the Cool Boys Podcast. I'm Felk. And I'm Ballard. This episode, we'll be discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all the fabulous boners it has given us. So we will forgo our Cool Boy updates and get right into Ant-Man and the Wasp and all the fabulous boners it has given us. Woo-woo! It's time for spoilers. So juicy. All right, well, this is going to be a different uh, spoiler cast. It'll be something more akin to the Ready Player One spoiler cast because, spoiler alert, Felk, have you seen Ant-Man and the Wasp? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with Ready Player One, at least you had Corey to talk to. You're just you're talking to a person who hasn't seen the movie and won't see it until it's on digital video, which is the same way I saw the first time. Ant-Man didn't see it, that one in theaters either. So the way this one will be a little bit different is more, I'm not just going to talk at Felk. Felk is going to, I guess you're just going to ask me questions of A, so anything you felt about the movie that intrigued you in the marketing probably and how it was answered in the film. And then B, uh, speculation on how it plays out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward, especially for things like Avengers 4, I would imagine. Correct? Yeah. Fuck yeah. All right, but first, Felk, let's talk about something that we both do know. We are going to give our quick cool boy rating of past films in the Ant-Man franchise. So that will include Ant-Man and Captain America Civil War. In Captain America Civil War, we are going to rate how Ant-Man was in that movie, not that movie. So okay. for, I think for Felk and I, we're somewhere in the four to five range uh, out of five cool boys um, for Civil War. So for this, though... Ant-Man, Felk, what would you give the original Ant-Man? I gave it two and a half boys. Saw it once, never felt the need to see it again. Yeah, it definitely has that feel um, kind of like Doctor Strange uh, where you, I where like you see it. More. I like the visuals of Doctor Strange more, but when I rewatched it, the plot was just not there enough for me to really gain anything more out of it the second time. Yeah. And, and Ant-Man well, had maybe a little bit more there. Ant-Man's a little clunky. Ant-Man's a little wonky. Ant-Man uh, doesn't suffer uh, drastically, obviously, from being, you know, having uh, a director switch within, like, you know, weeks before production. But it definitely feels like some of the jokes don't land. They're more cautious with the jokes, like when to use them. And um, I, I, for me, that's not a negative, but it's obviously not, like, a glowing review. I would say, for me, Ant-Man is a three out of five, boys. 
three and a three and a half is what I will give Ant Man Civil War. Oh, okay. So you liked him more? Okay, yeah. I, I he works better as an ensemble, uh, just like Clueless. You know, Paul Rudd's good doses. when he's yeah in the in the in the background a little bit. I like the use of the character. I like the way he became Giant Man, and we finally had Giant Man in the Marvel Universe. I like how they didn't like delay that for the essentially the sequel of Ant Man the Wasp. They use that in Civil War. Um, but for me, it, it felt weird when he said things like Captain America. Captain America, Mr. Lang. <laughs> it's an honor. I'm shaking your hand too long. Wow, this is awesome. Captain America, I know you too. You're great. He was interacting with people. It felt awkward. It didn't, it, the tone didn't seem to match up. I believe this is yours, Captain America. It was the only time I really felt like, and this is with a, you know, a universe that has Thor in it, right? And like Doctor Strange and Iron Man all colliding into similar films um, and Guardians of the Galaxy. But still, Ant-Man felt weird in Civil War to me. But I would give it maybe a, a three out of five again. Ant-Man's kind of just seems very general, like, you know, down the middle of the road type of character in the Marvel Universe. The way they've used him and the way Paul Rudd plays him. Fair enough. Now, next, we're going to get into Ant-Man and the Wasp and at least Ballard's cool boy rating of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Three out of five boys. That's, that's pretty good. Just middle of the road. I mean, it's not like a, a it's not a great movie. It's much more heavy on the comedy. It's much more Midnight Run. It's not as good as Midnight I Run. I love Midnight Run. Robert De Niro. It is truly in your best interest to just relax. I'm totally relaxed. Charles Grodin. $2, that's all you're going to leave? That's 15%. That's 13%. These people depend on tips for a living. From the director of Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run. It seems very much like the film is structured around that type of comedy. Like the uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is very much an 80s comedy. Um, even the use of the villains, uh, the kind of the, the, the humor, the, the playfulness uh, of, of the film itself, the, the self-referential aspects of it. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp definitely feels to me like an, it's, an, it's like an homage to the, the 80s films and especially things like Midnight Run. However, it's not as good as that. It's very simple. It's got some things that are wonderful, some great choices I enjoyed. But as, as a film, you're just like, all right, meh. It was good. It wasn't great. It wasn't horrible. And like, that's, this almost feels like it's a more negative review because of it. And it's not, it's just like, you're just like, okay, sure. It feels like a more cohesive film and coherent film across the board. It doesn't feel to have the same awkwardness that Ant-Man had where the jokes in Ant-Man and the Wasp seem to actually land and are more, uh, you know, actually I had to, you know, they're more funny and you have more fun watching it. Um, while I really felt like certain jokes in Ant-Man were just like, Oh, that just fell in its face. Oops. So that's, that's definitely a benefit to it. And the action's great. And it's good to see Peyton Reed. I mean, I've seen a, a fair amount of his movies. I love bring it on. And I'll say that as gay as I want to. Um, Bring It On I, is awesome. I'm not sure I really have a feel for what a Peyton Reed movie is. He kind of feels like a director for a hire. I know he did, like, <clears throat> Yes Man. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I liked Yes Man. But yeah. uh, I, I wouldn't say I know what a Peyton Reed movie is. I'm just saying that, like, I know that Ant-Man was a Peyton Reed movie because no, it, was, it wasn't him emulating it, as much as... You, I guess the question I would have had back when I saw Ant-Man was, how much of this movie is Edgar Wright? How much of this movie is Peyton Reed? 
Not much. And now having seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, I would say that I can be much more certain that Ant-Man is really a Peyton Reed film as opposed to an Edgar Wright film. Okay. Why don't you throw me some questions? I'm going to ask you the, the question I would ask any anybody at Marvel, uh, and maybe you can kind of answer your best answer for them, is, is that, like, why, after the huge significance of, of uh, Infinity War, do you, do you think, like, the movie we want to see right now is Ant-Man. Like, does this movie convince you, like, why, A, you care about Ant-Man enough that, like, this is the movie that should be coming out right now, and B, is, does it, it feels so weird to f- flash back before Infinity War and give me in pre-Infinity War shit when all I really want to see right now is where Infinity War goes? You know, the movie does feel um, like, and this has been uh, something I've heard over and over again on the internet about this movie, it, it's a pal cleanser. And it does feel that way, and it works that way. And it, it's barely affected by the plots outside of it. Yeah. Um, and you That's do not kind what I want of. Right what? That's not what I want right now. That's not why I didn't see it. It does further the MCU in other ways that seem much more akin to where Phase Four is likely to go. Um, and it does seem to be kind of important information that takes almost two hours to get there that will affect Avengers four to some extent. I, we can get in that now later, whenever you want. But, um, uh, yeah. I, I would say it's just really, it's a palate cleanser. And as much as the first Ant-Man was coming off of age of Ultron going into civil war, if anything, if you're watching the MCU through and you're just like, you know, trying to skip movies here and there, I'm sure if you hit age of Ultron, you could just be like, yeah, skip Ant-Man, move on straight to civil war because that's more of a through line. And so of course you're going to want to see, Probably something more akin to Captain Marvel later on when you're like, oh, that has some more clear connections to the Infinity War or going directly to Avengers it better, 4. It better. I don't know what the point of that one is. Well, I do have a theory about um, the way Ant-Man ends the mid credit sequence and going into Avengers 4 yeah. that we can get into later. Well, that uh, is, that is. I mean, it's not really a question, but it's just like that's when I decided not to see it is because... Uh, you asked about doing this this episode. Like, do I mind if I get it spoiled? And I was like, I really just want to know whether how much Infinity War affects it. Uh, affects it. Like, if if the spoilers for Infinity War, if the Thanos half the people snap happen in like the start of the third act, that would be like, oh shit, I gotta see this. That'd be fucking crazy. I I, I just Google, you know, Ant Man and the Wasp uh, Infinity War connections, and I see. The post credit scene ties together with Infinity. I'm like, fuck off. So you had an entire movie that has nothing to do with the only thing that matters in Marvel right now. And then, yeah. and, and, then and then give us a little a little a fucking little uh, appetizer to to wet us for a, a year and a half or whatever we have to wait. Yeah, that's that's that is accurate. And your assessment is uh, is pretty uh, on the money. That is what happens. Uh, the whole movie goes on without a single reference really to uh, Infinity War or anything going on. Infinity War. There's no invasion reference. There's no attack on New York mentioned. Um, none of that happens in Ant-Man the Wasp. Um, it is really, truly more of a direct sequel from Civil War and a continuation of almost every plot thread. From, that was not tied up from the original Ant-Man. Um, it is very tied into Ant-Man. Like it, it is one of those things where you start watching it and you're like, this is truly 
in a sequel to Ant-Man. Like, it does feel, at the same time, it feels very like, okay, there is an Ant-Man trilogy in the works. Hmm, okay. Well, that the second second question for you, this uh, one of my favorite ancillary characters in the MCU, does Howard Stark appear? No. Not in this one, huh? Okay. No, Not in this one, no. Another strike against Ant-Man and the Wasp for me. I really, because I, 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 I really like seeing um, uh, John Slattery inter- interact with Michael Douglas, with like CGI Michael Douglas in the first one. Hank, we need you. The Pym Particle is a miracle, please. Don't let your past determine the future. Why the two of you go fuck yourselves? I'm out of here. I like that whole rivalry between between um, Hank Pym and, and and like the Starks, and I, 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 I like the line in Civil War where Ant Man says like, "Hank Pym told me never to trust a Stark." Hank Pym always said you never can trust a Stark. Who are you? Come on, man. Did Tony Stark recognize that name? I don't know. I want to know more about that. I want to know more about that that conflict in, in the uh, in the movie because. You know, probably Tony Stark's going to end up working with Ant-Man. Maybe that means Hank Pym, unless there's something I don't know. I think it's quite established already in the MCU prior to even Ant-Man and the Wasp that Tony Stark has worked with and knows probably everyone from from whoever runs Rocks on to uh, Hammer Industries to mm-hmm. AIM to uh, uh, people like, Ulysses Claw, you know, as well as yeah. probably he knew Sonny Birch, who's involved in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Okay. I think Stark definitely knows all the players in his field. And so I think he would absolutely know Pym from Pym Particles. Unless he was retired or in hiding or whatever he was. He wasn't, though. Wasn't he kind of like all holed up in his home? Hank Pym, Hank Pym was, was just eventually gave over his, uh, uh, his, his corporation or the... Uh, Pym Industries to mm-hmm. Cross or whatever his name is, Darren Cross. And Darren Cross just started running it, and it wasn't until practically Ant Man. Yellow Jacket? Tra- yeah, Yellow Jacket, okay. where they wanted to change it and call it Cross Industries. And that was like the whole, you know, corporate, you know, takeover that was going on in that film. Oh, um, those bald corporate guys. Always a but, problem yeah, in the MCU. If anything, Pym wasn't like held up or hiding. He was just maybe slightly more hermitable. Than he was before. Um, do not this do not turn over. Have, don't turn over the corporate control of your company to a bald man in the MCU. They're bad. That's the moral of the story. Um, there was no John Slattery, Howard Stark in this film, or Dominic Cooper, Howard Stark in this film. Uh, yeah. But this film did have a flashback to 1987, uh, very mm. similar to the way um, the first film Ant Man had a flashback to 1989, and you saw young Michael Douglas. This movie gave us. Young Michael Douglas. I'm working my ass off. I'm off the sauce. I even stopped smoking. How's not smoking? And a de-aged Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I feel so much yummier. And they looked picture perfect. Well, Michelle Pfeiffer's, uh, yeah, she's, she's good. I forgot that she was even in this. She's great, and you and you do. You're right, Felk. I forgot she was kind of even in this until the prologue started, and you realized right away, holy shit, that's right. Michelle Pfeiffer's in this movie. Could have got you, Catherine Zeta-Jones. I think that would have been kind of cool, but I still. think everybody fan like casted her uh, from Ant-Man because it just made sense with Michael Douglas, and she's yeah. hot and sexy, and she has black hair, which matched with Hope's black hair. Exactly, yeah. She has dark hair. She's like a raven-haired chick in the uh, comics, so. 
So the prologue in this one um, shows shows the uh, Wasp, you know, Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Hank Pym, Michael Douglas, going off onto a mission and saying goodbye to Hope when she was a little girl. And it was the mission where Janet eventually goes into the ICBM and get, goes subatomic to the point where she gets lost in the quantum realm. That's You see more of that mission. You see that essentially that flashback from the Ant-Man expanded upon as the prologue. And when it ends, you're hearing Michael Douglas's voice throughout. Uh, at, when it ends, you cut to Hank Pym and Hope sitting down in Hank's lab. And Hope has the exact same stupid haircut from the, uh, from the first Ant-Man film. So you're just like, oh, that's great. They actually tied that in because I know from marketing materials already that her haircut gets awesome and becomes actually <laughs> great and a hot ponytail. And she's like super sexy character. And then the movie moves on, you know, and it does the same thing where we kind of follow up where, where Scott's been. And we find out that Scott's been two years of house arrest with practically like three to two days left on, on the bill before he gets into three years of probation. And the whole film is centered around that Felk around these two days in which he's at the end of his house arrest and all the shit goes on and he has to avoid the FBI and not look like he's outside the house and the FBI is, you know, uh, encapsulated and personified by, uh, FBI agent Jimmy Woo played by Randall Park, who was awesome. Who also played Kim Jong-un in, uh, the interview. Uh, okay. I know the actor. Yeah, I, didn't know, I didn't, I didn't really like the interview, honestly. I like the interview. I thought I like I like that stuff. Um, but uh, Randall Park's great as Jimmy Woo, uh, uh, the FBI agent. He has a, a great chemistry with Paul Rudd, and mm. um, and it's a fun, very '80s like uh, motif. The way he's constantly running in and and like Ferris Bueller kind of thing, you know, and checking in on him and seeing like, oh, is he there? And then like you know, Paul Rudd having to like figure out a way to like help his friends. And the movie's based around Paul Rudd's Scott Lang helping Hope Van Dyne and Hank Pym find Janet Van Dyne in the quantum realm, and they only have this small, like, period of time to find her, or they lose her for another hundred years. And that's the whole plot of this movie is based around that, and then there's this device to do all this, and that device is sought after by everybody. Ghost, as well as um, Walton uh, Goggins' character, Sonny Birch. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. So that's the plot. That's the plot of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Hi, how you doing? Hi. Ferris Bueller. Sorry, that sounds that sounds like a rental, um, just to me. Like it just doesn't. I, I, you, I, I, I'm assuming you saw this more out of dedication to the MCU than to yes. dedication to Paul Rudd's portrayal of Ant-Man. Ants. Ants. Uh, nothing to do with Paul Rudd at all, really. Uh, yes, this is something I, I would have watched on my TV at home. I didn't even see this in IMAX. I normally try to see MCU films in IMAX because they, they do resize the screens uh, and have special formatted IMAX uh, screenings. But um, And this one apparently was the same. But I didn't, I didn't see it because it's just... Yeah, I'm just, I just want to know how this affected uh, the MCU really moving forward. That's all I really cared about. I just wanted to know episodically what episode 20 was. Even if this was, you know, part two of potentially three in a trilogy, I, I really wanted to know how this was going to be for as episode 20 coming off of that incredible cliffhanger that episode 19 gave us. Once I have a trailer for Infinity War 2, Tony, the death of Tony Stark, um, I, I, I'll, I'll then feel comfortable like watching Ant-Man. Like when I have at least a taste of what is next in the world of what matters, then I'll care. 
And I feel the same way about fucking Captain Marvel. That's going to be all in the 90s, and it's going to be a post-credit stinger where she's like, oh, my fucking space page was beeping. I better go help the elderly black man who just paged me about the world ending. Or I guess I guess young Samuel L. Jackson. I guess Samuel L. Jackson is going to be at a de age. I think he filmed quite a bit for it, but like none of that. That'll all be in the nineties. This is going to be one of the first films where they've de aged the actor the entire time they, they're on screen. I think the only other film that would be similar to this would be what they did for Benjamin Button, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. My name is Benjamin Button, and I was born under unusual circumstances. While everybody else was aging. I was getting younger, all alone. Where they played with the age of Brad Pitt throughout the whole movie, except this one's going to be consistently 1990. I think um, they even said it. uh, They they kind of aged it, like 25 years younger or something like that. So this is like 1993 uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Unless you count the character of Clue in Tron Legacy. Now, I know Bridges was old playing a different character, but... That was, I guess, well, that wasn't DH. That was face mapping, wasn't it? Well, they did DH him, though. They I mean, they they were trying to do, like, 80s Jeff Bridges, and that, so that's a good yeah, point. That, Bridges that's another one. Bridges didn't even play that character. So, yeah, I guess this is this, this would be the first time. Um, well, I mean, but I, I still think you have to give a lot up to Curious Case of Benjamin Button. That was really the first, the real true honestly, first time. Honestly, I did, never like, thought the, I thought, I thought the visual effects were, like, distracting that whole movie. Oh, you know yeah. what? I watched I, Tanya. And every time Margot Robbie is on the uh, the, the the ice skates playing, uh, what's her name, Tanya Harding, yeah, they use face mapping to just map her face on onto a, a ice skater. It's not particularly well done because it's not a huge budget movie. I found it so motherfucking distracting. Really? Just, wow. Just used. Have you seen it? I haven't. I have it actually uh, right now here on Netflix um, DVD, but I have not watched it yet. Okay, well, I mean, that's not a spoiler, but like, no, I'm, I don't I'm, think I'm, it is. I'm sorry I said that, but honestly, you would have seen it too. You, you know enough about this shit that like, there's no way it's not fucking distracting. It's first, fun. first official digital face map. Jurassic Park. Yes, Jurassic Park. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For the little girl. I did it to Dick Cage. You can see it on my YouTube page. <laughs> you can. Lex, Lex was the the first time they put Lex's face on uh, the stunt woman because they didn't want to drop her through the uh, the ceiling board or whatever. Not really. A, it's one frame, I think. So or two frames. So it's like the mapping is relatively minimal. No, it's more it's, than it's two like, frames. It's just one shot. Yeah, it's, just, it's but it's it's very much just like take the face, put the face on the other face. It's not like mapping like moves and yeah. like dialogue and all. Not that Not like shit. what they did in Ant Man the Wasp, which was like fucking incredible, dude. Hmm. Like you really were like wow, blown away. I've seen eight, in like nineteen eighty seven Michelle Pfeiffer. And the other, you know what they did also? They did Lawrence Fishburne. They did like ni- late late eighties, early nineties Lawrence Fishburne. And he looked great, and it was crazy. You're looking at it, and you're just like, what the fuck? Apparently, his son even played him in the mm. scene, and they just put Lawrence Fishburne's face on him, and it was crazy. It looked so good. I didn't. I thought the villain, Ghost, looked boring as fuck. I get it. They want to finally have a female villain. Although, I love Kate Blanchett, so I thought like they've already kind of ticked that mark. So it's like, this one She's just not really a so villain. Fu- She's not really a villain? No, and that's one of the things this movie's really kind of cool about. This is one of the, uh, this is definitely one of those moments where 
I give it more credit, even though if I didn't really care for the film and kind of found it middle of the road, three out of five. This is one of the things that I like. I gave it high marks for though. There isn't a real villain. There is not a twisty mustache, Obadiah Stane esque, like Avengers Loki. There's or Corey Stoll I mean, in, the, in the last one. I mean, he, he was yeah. Just, or Corey Stoll's he was Darren just Croft, knock off Obadiah Stane. Absolutely huge knockoff. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Screen Junkies' honest trailer was like all about that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So this one, uh, Ghost isn't really a villain. I mean, she's kind of at first you're misunderstood as a villain, and then by the end of the movie, they literally call her, "Oh, our friend Ghost" or whatever, and they start trying to help her. Like the end, the end, the mid credit sequence is even involved with them trying to get these certain quantum energies to help her, to help save her, because the whole movie Ghost is based around she needs to get this device. The the, the PIM is going to use to track Janet. She needs this device so she can get Janet, so she can take Janet's energy, quantum energy, to save Ghost because she's phasing and can't stop phasing. And it's an accident that happened when she was a child because her father, who's Egghead, uh, Elias Starr, um, he dies in the beginning. So it's actually like he's another villain. He's he's actually a, a, a Ant-Man villain. He's a villain in the movie, and it's great, it's great is that he, you can almost see him as a Hank Pym villain, like Hank Pym's rogue, and then you almost have Scott Lang rogues. This would be a Hank Pym rogue, would have been Egghead. Anyways, he blows himself up and causes this huge like quantum explosion thing. They say quantum a lot in the, in the movie, and everyone says this. Yeah, they say quantum a lot, and they call it out. Anyways, there's like this quantum-esque explosion that uh, kills everybody in the room except the little girl who uh, is Ghost. And then S.H.I.E.L.D. takes her and trains her into a special ops. And then she ends up doing special ops missions for S.H.I.E.L.D. But when S.H.I.E.L.D. collapses, like Nick Fury, Nick Fury this whole time was like, we'll cure you. We'll cure you. Just work for us. And then everything goes to shit. And he's like, we didn't have the cure the whole time. Sorry. Whoops. And then but you never see Nick Fury. That's just this is all told in exposition. And then um, and then uh, Lawrence Fishburne's uh, Bill Foster he takes her under his arm. He's like, I'll help cure you. And so his perspective in the film then is that he starts off as just a friend they go to looking for help to see if he has anything to, like any information they can glean from him. Like, hey, we lost the, the lab. I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath. How big did you get? My record, 21 feet. You? 65 feet. 65. If you two are finished comparing sizes. 65. The lab, this giant building you see in the trailers that they shrink up and down. Yeah. That that constantly is in and out of their hands and everyone's getting a hold of it and then has it for a little bit and then it moves on to another person's hands and they have it for a bit and it circles its way back to Hank Pym. Yeah. Anyways, um, they lose it. Hank Pym and Hope Dine and uh, Scott Lang lose it and they go to Bill Foster and ask for help. And then it turns out Bill Foster's actually quote unquote bad right he's evil but he's not evil he's just helping out ghosts so it's always these perspectives with the villains the, the only real villain in this movie would be sonny birch and he's just uh like a, a weapons trafficker who wants to get like you know this particular device so he can give it to his employer because his employer wants to pay billions for it but you never find out his who his employer is that's like something they purposely lead off and so you, so you do get Lawrence Fishburne as Goliath, you know, Bill Foster as Goliath, essentially the villain. They, they talk about, you know, uh, Project Goliath, like they mentioned in Iron Man 2, when Iron Man's, like, listing off a bunch of projects. Um, 
So you do get like, you know, the reference to Goliath, but you never see him get large. Like he never does what Goliath does in the comics, which is actually like grow to like, you know, giant man size. I cannot tell you how little I care about the character of Goliath as portrayed by Lawrence Fishburne, who's Perry White, you fucking turncoat. Apparently, uh, he was uh, asked to come back to Justice League or something like that, and he said no, and they were like, fuck you, and they didn't want him back anymore. So he's like, whatever, and so he moved on to Marvel. That's what it sounds like from all the different shit I've read. But, uh, yeah, so there's no real villain, and, uh, and, and the closest thing would be really Sunny Birch. It's just a bunch of people that want something, and everybody kind of gets a rationale around why they want it, and 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 that's about it. And, it, you know, of course, it works out in the end. Everything's fine. Um, Sunny Birch's employer is interesting because I've tried to think about, like, who it could be. Thanos. I think within the context of Ant-Man, I think it's supposed to be Hydra, but... Um, Are they I'm still around? He, I mean, I, I'm unclear. Well, see, the thing is, is that no, no, none the of the movies it, talk about him anymore. I'm guessing yeah, they're still the villains on Shield. Ant Man talks about him. Ant Man has references to Hydra after Hydra's already been outed of Shield in Winter Soldier, which happened. You mean Ant Man like, the Wasp, films. the new one, Ant Man Two? No, the original Ant Man. The people who are buying the pin particles from Darren Cross at the end of the movie were Hydra. Mr. Carson introduced me to these fine gentlemen here, the representatives of Hydra. They're not what they were. They're doing some interesting work. Yeah, but it's that's that's before Civil War. Civil War is when you no, get it like, wasn't. Civil, oh no, yeah, it was. But yeah, Civil was. War has nothing to do with Hydra. Yeah, there's one Hydra member who's just like hanging out in his house, and, and Daniel Brühl uh, oh, knocks on his door, true. and he's like, "Hail Hydra!" As he dies, I was like, I thought that was all Hydra was, just a bunch of like like single dudes like hiding and shit. Like they didn't have any presence anymore. They're all retired. Hail Hydra! Hail Hydra! It's very loose, like how Hydra's used in the first Ant-Man film. It's not made clear at all who they who the employer is in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. But I just assumed it was Hydra because I because of Hydra's connection in the first Ant-Man. It could be AIM. It could be Justin Hammer. Maybe he's out of prison now. Um, I, I could be a whole bunch of people. I, I, I would like it to be somebody we've seen before kind of tied in coming back, connecting universes. I like when they did that. I like when they bring people from other films, other franchises into other, other franchises. So hopefully something like that. Like, I mean, they played the long game with, um, William Hurt and brought him back after all that time. So maybe. Yeah, exactly. They did. I do. Okay. So I, another thing I don't care is just call it Ant-Man 2. Or make a Wasp standalone movie. See, now here's something that I've heard on the internet. People are already saying the next film should just be called The Wasp. It should be a, a go Ant-Man, Ant-Man, The Wasp, The Wasp, and then just follow her storyline and kind of how Ant-Man is involved in it. Because she is a real character in this film. You follow her. She is not a she does not play like second fiddle to Ant-Man at all. And she's a good character. She's a fun character. She really Evangeline is. Evangeline Lilly in particular to me. I don't like Evangeline Lilly. Is it just no. me or, or is like, is she's such a weird person? I uh, can't stand her. Her character. Well, I, I don't say boring, but it was just like, I did not care about her character from, from, from lost. I did not yes. care about her character from the Hobbit. Yes. I did not care about her character from Ant-Man. Yes. And I can't even think of any other things Evangeline Lilly's done. 
I agree. All with that. I 100% agree with all of that. I did not care for her in the first Ant-Man film, and I hated her haircut. We have to go back, Kate. No! No! We have to go back! And I did not care for Evangelina Lilly and the way she talks to people at, like, Comic-Con. Con is kind of my world. I love, much love to all of you. I love my people. <laughs> How she calls them. Like, people who go see a movie or, like, Lost in general, she calls them my people. I love my people. I love my people. <laughs> I mean, I've never met her, but, like, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, I don't like this kind of personality trait. However... She's awesome as Hope Van Dyne in Ant-Man and the Wasp. She is really good in it. Uh, Marvel has a great beat on this character. She is not like a Black Widow knockoff. She's not, a, you know, a variation of Scarlet Witch. She's not a variation of Gamora. She's not a variation of Nebula. And none of these characters seem to be variations really on them. I would say the closest one is maybe Gamora and Black Widow kind of have similar tendencies. That's about it. Marvel's done a great job of having very different women characters and not making them all variations of Wonder Woman or Supergirl, which is what DC unfortunately does a lot. But I would say though that uh, she's good in this and I think you will like the character coming out of it much more. I think she's a much more entertaining character than Scott Lang is realistically. Okay. That's woke. It's not woke. It's just honestly how I feel watching the movie. Female pride. It's not female pride. She's a good character. She's a good character. You why, know who's a lame getting, character? Why are you getting defensive when I say that's oh, female pride? Shouldn't you be like all good about that? Because I hate women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I will say, though, about the Wasp character? Yeah, I don't care about the Janet, Janet Van Dyne, the real Wasp, who oh, shows up yeah, in this sure. movie. She shows up in like the last 10 minutes. The whole movie's about getting her out, right? Whether it's getting her out to tear her apart and use her 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 quantum powers to heal you, which is the ghost thing, mm -hmm. or to sell all this stuff off as weapons in the black market, which is Sonny Birch's thing, or if it's you know to like bring her out of the quantum realm, which is Hank Pym's thing, and Hope Van Dyne's thing. Um, they get her out, and then she's like just immediately like just uses ET glowing fingers, and touches Ghost and just heals her. Out of nowhere, she has these magical healing powers. Magical healing powers, Felk. Hmm. And it's not explained at all. And then the movie just practically ends. And it's like, done. And she goes, and, and then Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym go off to like Hawaii on some like private island and, and put up the house. They shrunk down from San Francisco and put it up all big right there on the beach. And it's just like, wow, we wrapped that up. So it's like, it was very heavy on this will be all stuff dealt with in Ant-Man 3 or the Wasp or Ant-Man the Wasp 2, whatever the fuck they call it. But it was very odd and it was very 80s. And I and I didn't hate it because of that. But at the same time, it was just like, OK, all right, we're just this, not going to talk about this major thing that just occurred. I guess, and you know, we're just gonna play it off as you know the characters discuss it. Not gonna it talk after. about this major thing that. Sorry, sorry. Not that just not. Hey, we're not gonna talk about this major thing that just occurred. It's like the theme of Ant Man and the Wasp, and I that's that's my aversion to it. Like, it that that does seem to be the case, and that that I, I guess Peyton Reed even kind of talked about that in in a way in an interview I read where he was saying that um, that was like a Paul Rudd thing, like how Paul Rudd was always a step behind. And so he would ask the dumb questions because 
it, it was too confusing and then it would be like, you know, kind of uh, move on. They would just move on with it rather than try to explain it to the audience. You know, they would they would give just enough explanation to be like, OK, let's go ahead. And it's very like I was saying earlier, self-referential in an 80s way like that, like weird science kind of thing, like where you're 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 constantly aware of the pseudoscience that's going on. Yeah. OK. And hey, Pim, um, he was a, he was good. Michael Douglas was good, and he was you know able to do a little bit more. They suit him up in an Ant Man suit. There's a bunch of suits yeah. in this movie. There's a there's an Ant Man suit that you know from Civil War that's hiding the whole movie where they Paul Rudd's character Scott Lang says it's actually been destroyed when it wasn't. He was he was secretly just stashing it, and uh, they give him this like prototype quote unquote suit where it's just fucks up the whole time and it makes him too big or too small. He's like the size of a toddler running through the school at one point hmm. at like a kid's school to like to get the actual Civil War Ant-Man suit that he mailed uh, to his friend Luis, the, you know, Michael Pena's character. Mm. Um, but Hank Pym suits up in an Ant-Man suit and goes into the quantum realm. And so they, like, they gave Michael Douglas some shit to do, which was fun. And it was fun to see him get, his, you know, get into a super baggy suit that did not highlight his muscles at all. He does not. Yeah, well, of course, he doesn't have any. Um, I mean, he does. He just kind of sits in a chair in the first movie. Like most of his role is is chair based. They talk about that, and uh, a lot of interviews. Peyton Reed has talked about how he promised Michael Douglas to, to please come back for Ant Man Two because you will get a better character. You are literally exposition man hmm. in this movie, and, and I apologize for that. That's all you're here for is exposition this and exposition that. So they did give him a little bit more in this movie, but he's still exposition man, like very much so. Along with Lawrence Fishburne's character. Um, and then, yeah, so I mentioned Luis. Michael Pena was okay. Kurt and Dave. Uh, Kurt, I think, is the... I can't remember his name. Something Dolshman guy. And Dave was T.I. They, you know, they did their shit. Whatever. Didn't matter. Okay. And it was, it was... They had funny moments with, like, Truth Serum and stuff where you got, you got to do that montage stuff. Remember when uh, Luis... Does that in the first film where it's like, you know, I was talking to so-and-so. Ignacio's like, for real? And she's like, yeah. You know what? I can't tell you who my contact is because he works with the Avengers. Oh, no. Yeah, and this dude sounds like a badass, man. Like, he comes up to him and says, yo, I'm looking for this dude who's new on the scene, who's, like, flashing this fresh tack, who's got, like, bomb moves, right? Who you got? And she's like, well, we got everything nowadays. We got a guy who jumps. We got a guy who swings. We got a guy who crawls up the walls. You got to be more specific. And he's like, I'm looking for a guy that shrinks. They did that with the truth serum. That was the way to be able to interject that gag again into the movie. Cool. Uh... You do see Ant-Man and his giant man, Felk, and that's a, it's at the end, and it's one of the things to do with his uh, house arrest yeah. is, like, if I go out as Ant a giant man, Ant-Man, he can kind of be clandestine, but as giant man, he can't be clandestine, so there's a point in the third act where he has to decide to essentially be giant man to save the day, and that would give himself up to the FBI. He does this, and he ends up avoiding the FBI. It was cool to see a giant human being running through a city like San Francisco and jumping into the bay and stuff like that. Like it looked incredible. It was very well done. Um, and then you get the uh, setup for his daughter because all this whole movie, he does everything for his daughter to save his daughter, keep his daughter out of the, uh, you know, out of the limelight of his criminal activities and him potentially breaking the Sokovia Accords by getting out of his house. Um, Ant-Man's uh, daughter, Cassie Lang, who in the comics has gone by a bunch of names like, stature and stinger okay she is clearly set up in this film to become stature or stinger or whatever they call her or they call her giant girl or whatever the fuck 
They, this is clearly set up because she says multiple times, I could be your sidekick. You need a sidekick. I could be your sidekick. I want to help. I wish I could help. Things like that. It is clearly set up. They're going to bring her into another phase four. Like this is going to, they're going to start branching from Ant-Man, other heroes. And I, I don't know if Ant-Man's franchise has the strength to be branched off. Yeah. It's, it's like Spider-Man. Like, I don't know if Spider-Man's franchise, as good as it is, is strong enough to be branched off into Venom films and Sinister Six films and, you know, Silver and Sable it's Black not, films. And what it, it is, right? It's like, it's like, no, I don't know. I don't know if you should be doing these movies. All right. Well, mostly the thing left, Felk, is just, I guess, really stuff for the future. I mean, end credits wise... Do you want to know what the end credit scenes were exactly? I, I do know what they were because I looked them up. But, um, yeah, they, they basically Ant-Man goes into the quantum realm with the other people outside, including... Uh, the other people being uh, Hank Pym, Janet Van Dyne, and Hope Van Dyne. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then they, you know, he's like, oh, you guys there? And it cuts to, I guess they're... They're all ashy because they got Thanos. The snap happens. And so I I, I was, you know, uh, alerted to going into this movie that one of the things that you should be on the lookout for is anytime you're in the quantum realm, look for like some spoiler, you know, some kind of Easter egg. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything. I, I didn't catch it. Um, I didn't catch uh, Wasp in the first film either until I got it on Blu-ray and actually like watched it over and like free, freeze framed it. But um, apparently... When the snap, quote unquote, happens while Scott Lang is in the uh, quantum realm in the microverse, yeah, uh, you see, I like once again, I did not see this. You see two eyes apparently show up and stare at him, uh, just above him. I think they're hypothesizing that the eyes are Thanos's eyes, okay. or maybe they're Dormammu's eyes. I have no fucking clue. Probably not. I don't think we're gonna be going back to the Dormammu well. Felk, but something very important you you glossed over there because you had not seen the movie and you were just reading this is that Janet Van Dyne says to Scott before they send him into the quantum realm to go get quantum energies to go help Ghost because Ghost mm-hmm. is their friend now. Mm-hmm. Um, be mindful or something like that of the t- time vortexes. Don't get caught in those. So he now is lost in the quantum realm. If he has that enlarger thing like he did at the end of Ant-Man, he can just use that, become big and be done, right? Mm-hmm. Or he's stuck in the quantum realm right now because he can't get back. And if he's stuck in the quantum realm, maybe he goes into one of these time vortexes. Like I said, remember, this was actually one of my guesses, was that at some point in the film, while they're in the quantum realm, the snap will happen. He'll come out of it, and the snap will already have been done. Well, he didn't come out of it. He's stuck there. But maybe he has to go venture through the quantum realm now to work through the Avengers in some form of time vortex shit. Because it's quite the name drop for Janet to say right before he goes in to the quantum realm out of nowhere. Like, of all things to be mindful of, be mindful of time vortexes. And something that this ties into with Thor 3, Thor 3, Thor Ragnarok, the mid credit sequence, which had nothing to do with the movie, was Thor, Loki just standing on the ship and, and Thanos' ship showing up, right? And then you're kind of like, wow, that's a weird ending because, like, how do they start Infinity War? Well, they start Infinity War with literally what happens next. It's very likely, I'm thinking, that the prologue for Infinity War or um, Avengers 4 could be just Ant-Man lost in the quantum realm trying to get the fuck out for, like, 
five minutes and then somehow stumbling across a time vortex popping out in some other reality and dealing with, you know, the effects of five years, 10 years down the road from the snap. Interesting. I'm sure I will be able to watch it before Infinity War. And as long as I do that, I'm fine. Not Infinity War, Avengers 4. Infinity War 2. Yeah, Infinity War 2. And then there's a final end credit sequence. So that was the mid credit sequence. The final, final end credit sequence, right? Yeah. Is literally emergency broadcast system is running, right? Yeah. And they have, you know, uh, the TVs are going. You just hear this beep. And it pans and it shows, like, an ant playing the drums. And then it just cuts. And it's like, Ant-Man and the Wasp will return? Question mark? Yeah, because uh, Thanos. Yeah, and I, and I think it's just also kind of like now they're they're finally showing their hat or tipping their hat to the, like, the idea of, all right, we get it. Yeah, Black Panther died in Infinity War. Okay, yeah, we just killed the Wasp. Oh, yeah, we get it. We just killed Spider-Man. Yeah, we get it. We're not going to obviously have these characters that are very important to us in lots of reasons, you know, lots of demographic reasons. We're not going to have them gone. So, yes, they will return. But how, you know, you'll have to tune into Avengers 4 to find out. I was blown away by mostly how this whole film was the de-aging. And I would love to see a 1980s Marvel film starring Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas, Lawrence Fishburne, and anybody else that would make sense for that. Howard Stark and Haley Atwell. And have and see and even Nick Fury, maybe like even younger Nick Fury. And have them do a mission and do like an Ant-Man prologue movie. I would love to see that. And I think that could be really fucking fun. And they have the technology. And if they're going to test it with Captain Marvel with Samuel Jackson, I think that's awesome. And I hope I hope it pans out because it's a lot. It's a lot that I'm sure to do that. I mean, th th those are the final shots of Ant-Man. The very final shot they turned in was the de-aging of Michael Douglas in the prologue. And... The final shot they turned in, apparently, of Civil War right before the movie aired, like two weeks before, was the Tony Stark um, barf um, yeah, sequence yeah, when yeah. he was uh, uh, talking to, to his parents. Absolutely, yeah. So, quick cool boy ranking of all films in the franchise. Uh, Civil War is number one. I would say number two is Ant-Man and the Wasp, and number three is Ant-Man. Uh, Civil War is one. Ant-Man's second. I can't speak for the Wasp yet. All right, cool. So, Felk, having not seen the movie, rental? Yeah, are you gonna are you gonna like kind of rush to rent it when it's available? Yeah. Or are you just gonna be like, eh, I'll just make sure I see it before Avengers Four comes out? Yeah, even 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 when I don't care uh, with Marvel, I usually watch it digitally as fast as I can. I think I actually bought uh, Thor: Dark World just to be able to watch it before the uh, rental window narrowed for twenty bucks and. I mean, that was a mistake, but I'll, I'll probably do it again. Because I, right. I see most of them in theaters. Ant-Man's Ant missable. I think Still this is. one probably would have been a good theater experience if only for the visuals in 3D and IMAX. And I saw it not in 3D and not in IMAX, so it, I could have easily have waited for DVD, but I definitely just, I need to know what's going on in the MCU. I'm an MCU junkie. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. 
Cool Boy Nation, tell us what you thought about Ant-Man and the Wasp by emailing us at thecoolboyspodcast at gmail.com. New episodes of the Cool Boys Podcast come out every Tuesday. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook. And please rate and review us as well. You can also donate to us on Patreon and receive additional content like Cool Boys After Dark and commentaries. It only costs a buck and you will receive special access to content too hot to air. You can mm. find the Cool Boys on Patreon at patreon.com slash coolboyspodcast. And please check out our other great Cool Boys Central content with Batman and Beyond, the Cool Boys Podcast, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Patreon, where the Cool Boys have an uncensored discussion about Batman, the animated series, everything ranging from bat tips to bat nips, and all the boners that they have given us. Nice. Thank you for listening. Stay cool, Cool Boy Nation. Until next time, it's Bizees from Felk. And that's Bizees from Ballard. Okay, cool. I gotta go. I gotta go get chicken so I can cook and eat food because I'm starving. I should not have not had dinner. I did not have dinner. Yeah, that's not good. Don't do that. You are standing American boy. You have excelled in all things. I pump while I dump. Oh, yeah. So cool. Oh, yeah. So cool. Oh, yeah. So cool. This episode of the Cool Boys Podcast was brought to you by The Fucking Be So Good. Oh. Yo! Ooh. You ain't ever has fucking Ooh. this good in your life, bitch. Cool story. Get some cool, cool boys. boys. <laughs> <laughs> so serious.